Welcome to Elixir Wizards, a podcast brought to you by SmartLogic, a custom web and mobile development shop based in Baltimore. My name is Alex Hausen, and I'll be your host. I'm joined by my co-host, Eric Ostrich. This season's theme... Oh, Eric, I forgot to say hello to you. I'm sorry. Hello. It's probably because I've seen you all day. Hey, Eric. (laughs) This season's theme is the impact of Elixir, and we're joined today by our special guest, Adolfo Netu. Hi, Adolfo. Hi, Alex. Hi, Eric. Hi, everyone. How are you doing today? I'm good. So before we started, we were talking about rants and obsessions, and you brought up Livebook. So do you want to talk about what you're currently pondering about with regards to Livebook? Okay, okay. So I I really like Livebook because as a teacher, I like that it's something that I can use with beginners. I don't have to teach my students, oh, you have to install this and do that. I just open a live book and it's it's there. I can test the code. But then a, a few days ago, fly.io launched it. Uh, you, you can now have a, a, an installation, a free installation of Livebook on their server, their server. So, and, but then there's this question. A Livebook is that a markdown file with code, Elixir code, and some comments. But it's also, so there is the live book, which is this file, but there is also the software live book, and there is also the installation of live book. So what's a live book? Everything is a live book. So I would like to to have better names for these things, but I'm not sure if this is really relevant for the Elixir community. That's fair. There's nothing like redundancy, though, to really just kind of stick in your brain. When I think about live book, like as a term, I honestly think about the book from the third Harry Potter book and movie that came alive and was a monster. I believe it was called the Monster Book of Monsters, <laughs> and it like chomped and tried to get people. Eric's looking like he's never seen this before, but that's what I think about because it's a book that's alive. Anyway, we don't need to go down that tangent. I could talk about Harry Potter for a while. <laughs> Adolfo, you mentioned you're a teacher. Yes. How did you become a professor? Were you always interested in teaching others? Well, no, I I wasn't. But when I finished my undergraduate course in computer science at the Federal University of Alagoas, uh, there was a master's degree in a city called Recife, which was four-hour distance from... Maceió, then I went there, I did my master's, and then there was this opportunity, oh, you can teach here at this federal school, it's a a nice salary. I I wasn't prepared to be a teacher, but I became a teacher because it was a a good opportunity. So I did that, and then after that, after a few years teaching, I believe six years teaching, I, oh, I'm going to do a PhD. And then when you do a PhD here in Brazil, most of the people, I know that in the United States, many people that have PhD, they, they go to, to industry, to, to companies. But uh, here in Brazil, most of the people who have PhD, they, they are university professors. So I became a, a university professor and I'm, I have been teaching since 1995, I believe. Wow. My mom has her PhD and she's also a university professor. So I very much understand. What was your PhD program 
Like how, like how long did it take to complete? Did you have a dissertation? What was it on? Yes, my, I, I did my PhD at the University of Sao Paulo, which is one of the largest universities here in Brazil. And it was in computer science. It lasted four years because the, that's the usual, usual length here. But I know that in the US it depends. Sometimes it's five, even seven. But here it's most of the time it's four, five years. And my PhD dissertation was describing a program which I, I have implemented. And it was a theorem prover. So the, it was a program that received as a input a logical problem and then produced a logical proof. And this logical proof was a kind of a tree. So I, I, I also draw the tree and there were, there were it was non-deterministic. So for each input, there were many possible outputs. So I, I could draw several different outputs and I the implementation was in Java at the time it was 2003 Java was the new new bright thing that everyone wanted to to learn so I I wanted to learn Java my my advisor he preferred even now he prefers C a C++ guy I, I believe even most C but I I know oh, I want to know this I want to learn this new language Java then I learned Java and that's that's it. It's my theorem prover. It's still on GitHub, but after the PhD, maybe one or two years after that, I, I did something, but then it's there because the people that I thought that would think this theorem prover would be useful, they, they didn't care. So for them, they, they, people that work with research in logic, they mostly love the, the formalism, proving theorems. I had I had even to prove a theorem in my PhD dissertation. They love proving theorems. So they don't care much, much about the implementation. I'm having some serious flashbacks to taking a discrete mathematics course in college where we did a lot of logical proofs and... Uh, that, uh, geometry. That's my, like... Oh, still geometry. Yeah, doing the proofs was the worst part of geometry. <laughs> I agree, Eric, because in my 15-year-old brain, I thought, I don't need to prove that this is a triangle. I know it's a triangle. Yeah, it's like, what, what are the steps? It's a triangle. <laughs> <laughs> I see it. I look at it. Got two sides. I get it, guys. Come on. What made you go to school for computer science in the first place, Adolfo? Oh, that's a good question because I, I, I have a podcast too where I interview women in computer science. It's called Emilia's Podcast and it's in Portuguese, unfortunately, so you, you can't understand <laughs> anything there. But we always ask that and several different answers. My answer is that when I was maybe... 12, 13, I went to a friend's house and there it was a, a birthday party and he it was a long time ago. So if I maybe 1985, so a very, very long time ago, then he, he had one of those small computers that you plugged into the TV set 
and it was a Sinclair a version. Uh, it was a clone of a Sinclair. Sinclair was a, a computer that was made in England, but at the time in Brazil, you, you couldn't just buy something from England. So a Brazilian company had copied the project and created a, a Brazilian clone of Sinclair. And I loved that computer. And I, I told my father, no, I want one too. So I bought one and I started programming in a, a very basic programming language, which is called BASIC. BASIC is a programming language which was created by a professor at one or two professors, I don't remember, at the Dartmouth College. And after that, I I, I even, I, I don't know, I, 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 so at, 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 at first it was very funny to, to play. I, then I kind of got bored with the computer. But when it was time for me to decide which major, because here in Brazil, you have to choose your major before entering college. So I had few options. And there was computer science. I thought, oh, I'm going to, to do computer science, to choose computer science. And I, I really liked it. It was, it was a great course. That's how I, I chose computer science. That's a little stressful to have to know when you're applying what you want to do. I had no idea. What were your other, did you have any other ideas or options about what you might want to study? Yes, and actually at the time, computer science was my second option, but the first option was not available where I lived. The, the first option was in Recife, and I was too young to live alone in Recife. Ah, that's another thing that's different here in Brazil. Usually, people that go to college, they don't, don't leave their parents' house. My daughter, she has just started college and she's living with me right now. So we Brazilian parents only expect their children to leave their house after they finish college. So oh. that's what was it. Uh, I, I wanted to go to Recife, but my father said, no, you, you are going to stay here in Maceió. Because <laughs> it was a, a lot of of money that it it was much cheaper to study in Maceió where I lived. Cool. Also, I think my my parents were glad to be rid of me in a loving way, but they were <laughs> ready for me to like spread my wings and fly. And a bit. I forgot the, the course that there was my first option was statistics because I I thought oh this is math I love math but it's applied math it's even better. <laughs> So that was my reasoning at the time. And then you ended up writing a theorem prover. So I feel like you've kind of <laughs> connected your loves. Yes, yes, sure. Do you do any statistics for fun? No, no, no. I, I, <laughs> I, I don't have time for that now. <laughs> no, absolutely not. But, but I want to learn machine learning because there's some statistics there, but I still haven't found time to dive deeper into that. You've got students and classes and papers to grade. Where's <laughs> the time? Yes. So Eric discovered that you have a TikTok where you teach Elixir. Is that correct? Not exactly. I have just recorded two or actually three TikTok videos 
uh, I have two accounts, one in Portuguese and one in English. And the one in English has only two videos right now. But maybe maybe I, I will try to do more. I, I, I'm more a YouTube kind of guy. <laughs> I like that I can just start recording. And I, I also, I, I'm not a good editor. I, I don't have the, the patience to edit my videos and I, I don't have the time and, or, or the money to pay someone to edit my videos. So I just press record and start typing and saying something. And there are a lot of videos. I have also two YouTube channels, one in Portuguese and one in English. If you want, after that, I can send you the links. Yeah, that would be awesome. What types of videos and content do you cover over on your YouTube videos? Yes, my YouTube videos recently have have been mostly about Elixir and Erlang, but I also teach logic, so I also have some videos on logic, but these videos on logic are only in Portuguese. In my English-only channel, I have some videos on Elixir, Erlang. There, there is a talk that Laura Castro gave to my students on property-based testing. There's, there's a talk also about, I, I don't remember the, the name of the, the, the talk, but it was by Simon Thompson, a professor. I believe he's partially retired now, but... He's, he was a professor at the University of Kent, and he, his code examples in that talk was, were in Erlang. And, and that's it. That's some videos where I just, oh, I'm going to solve this exorcism problem or this advent of code problem. Oh, there's something new. For, for instance, there's a video about Livebook, because I love the Livebook videos that Jose Valin does, but they are a little bit advanced for what I believe are, are mo- most of my students. So it's, oh, let me just create a video f- a little bit simpler, where I just, oh, this is life book. You can do that and that and that. Because Josefa Lynch, oh, I, let's do machine learning with life book. <laughs> so this is a, a bit advanced for my average students. Are you teaching your students Elixir? I, every year, I offer a course called Introduction to Functional Programming, which is not mandatory. How do you say that? So it's elective. So yeah. the students can choose. Not many students choose this course. I, I don't know why, but... They're missing out. <laughs> yes, but I... So, so what did I do? this year i said oh so i don't have many students from here so let's open to the world so i had some cool. stu- students from other universities from one student from england one student from italy and it was great it was a great experience they they have produced some so they the as i as i said i implemented that to your improver in Java, I, I don't know. Now you are going to implement it, your improver, just that in, in Elixir. I'm, I'm still reviewing their, their projects when, I, when they are okay. I, I'm going to show them to the world. Awesome. So you teach functional programming. How did you find it yourself? Did you also have a class that you took in college or did you kind of stumble upon it like I did? That's interesting because 
when I was an undergraduate student, I had a course in, I believe it was artificial intelligence, and the professor used Lisp. And he told me, no, you are going to do that in Lisp. It was uh, a software for his master's, master's, no, master's thesis. And I programmed in Lisp, but I didn't know it was a functional programming language. It was only Lisp for me. <laughs> only after some years when I was in my master's, I had two colleagues. They were doing functional programming, but with ML which is an, an old functional programming language. But I, I wasn't studying at the time. So many years later, I found a book by Bruce Tate, Seven Languages in Seven Weeks. And reading that book, I, I discovered Clojure, which is a lisp for the Java virtual machine. And at the time, at the time it was 12, 20, 11, I already knew a, a little bit of Java, so, oh, that's nice. Uh, I know a, a little bit of Lisp, I know, like Java, but it, it was my, it was kind of my hobby. I didn't use Clojure seriously. I, I'm not a professional programmer, and my students, it was too much for my students, but Clojure became my favorite programming language at, at the time. When I went to the U.S. to spend a year, I, I visited Cognitect, I believe that's the name of the company. Cognitect is the company behind Clojure, Stuart Holloway works there. And a few months ago, it was bought by a Brazilian company, Newbank, which is the same company that bought Platform Tech, which is the company behind Elixir. So there's some relationship there, but that's more coincidence because Nubank is a very big digital bank here in Brazil, and it uses closure in, in their banking services. So I even went to a closure conference when I was in the US in 2014, but that's it. Uh, I liked closure. I studied closure, but uh, I, I wasn't planning on doing much with it. And then when I was in, in the US, I, I went to a, a lot of meetups. And in some meetups, people used to mention, oh, there are these new languages, Rust, Elixir. And I believe at the time, I already knew that Elixir was a, a programming language, which was created by a Brazilian, José Valim. And when I came back to Brazil, I, I bought Dave Thomas' book, and I said, oh, that's even better than Clojure for me. I mean, not for, I, I'm not saying that Clojure is not good. It's just, no, I, I like more, I like Elixir more than Clojure because there are not a lot of parentheses. <laughs> and, and then I, I started studying and giving talks to my students. And then at some point, I decided to offer this introduction to functional programming course. So that's basically my story with functional programming. I'm not a person who does research in functional programming, which is much more advanced than what I, I usually do with Elixir. What do you think the, the benefits are of a functional programming language, be it Elixir or Clojure? I like that the idea that most of the, the things you do is 
creating functions where you process data. So there is input and output. Of course, we know that not all functions are, are going to be mathematical functions. So a mathematical function is a pure function where for the same input, it's always the same output. Sometimes we need something that is not a mathematical function that for, for, in, for instance, enum.shuffle, for, for the same input, you, you can have several different outputs. But it's, I, I believe it's, it, for me, for the, the kind of thing that I do, it's easier to, to think about the, the data I'm going to represent, for instance, in logic, I, I'm going to represent a formula or truth table or a tableau proof as, as data, and I'm going to, to pass this structure through several functions until I have as result the, that thing that is the, the result of this logical procedure. So what do you want your students to take away from your functional programming class? Like if there was one thing that they could really take away, what would you want it to be? What I want them to take from my course is that most of the functions that they implement, that they, they represent, are mathematical functions. Because they, I believe, as most of my students, uh, no, not most, all my students up to now, they already knew how to program in some other language. So they kind of miss that state. They want to change the state. So what I wanted, no, you forget about state. Think about the input and the output. And your function is going to get that input, process it, and produce an output. I know this happened with me, but for the students that take the functional course and are used to that mutating state, like, do you see, if you have them again next semester for a different class, do you see that their like, coding style had changed at all to be slightly more functional? Unfortunately, I, I don't see, I have never seen any one of them after my, my course because they, they come from different places and they go. But I see that some now for, for this last course, and even for the, the, the previous one, I, I keep in touch, in touch with them. So I, some, I, I know some, some of them, I know they are working with functional programming and so that's something that I like about it. That's exciting. You know that you had a hand in their functional programming journey. Yes, I, I'm not sure how how much my course was responsible or if they, they came to my course because were already interested in functional programming. So, But here we are. Yes. Adolfo, you also podcast, as you mentioned earlier. What do you like about podcasting? I really started because I loved listening to podcasts. So there are many podcasts, as you know, there are many kinds of podcasts. And so it started like that. So I'm part of this project called Emilia's Armação in Beats, which is impossible to translate. Emilia, <laughs> Emilia is kind of... a Let's say Emilia is mini, mini okay, mini, mini mouse, but uh, Emilia is kind of, it's, a, it's a, a small girl. And 
Although Minnie Mouse is not a girl, right? <laughs> it, it's not, it's uh, 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 but okay. Emilia is a girl, and she's she's it's part of traditional literature in Brazil. But okay, this this project is the the goal is to bring more women, more girls, more women to computer science, because in the course we have here, approximately fifteen percent of our students are women. And I think that's too low. It could be easily 40%, 50%. Why 15? So at some time, I said, oh, the, the students, uh, as I told you before, the, the students, they have to choose their course before entering college. So I said, no, I have to do something, though, that those students in, how do you say, high school, they listen and so, oh, oh that's, that's what a, a woman does in computer science. Because there is this, this idea that uh, computer science is mostly for men. Yes, it is because there is some, lots of, of men, but we have to change that. There, there are all, already a lot of great women in computer science. I can cite, for instance, Laurie Williams. She's a professor at North Carolina State University in there are so many. And so I said, no, let's interview some of these women so they can tell their, their story. How did they get to computer science? What fascinating things they are doing? And that's it. That's what they can say to girls and women that want to, to come to computer science. And that's how I created my first podcast, which is called Emilia's podcast. After some time, I said, oh, I really like this. I really like interviewing people. So I created a kind of a parallel project, a podcast called Professora do Funet, which is my name with professor in Portuguese in the beginning, where I interview only, for this podcast, I only interviewed one woman, but I don't remember why I, I wanted to go, to go deeper than in Emilia's podcast. And but okay, this is my side project. And after that, some some colleagues from the software engineering research community they, in Brazil, they said, let's create a podcast for software engineering research in Brazil. And there is Fronteiras da Engenharia de Software. And after some time, I said, oh, I, I really, I, I really would like to have a podcast about Elixir. In Portuguese, I know there are great podcasts about Elixir in English, like Elixir Wizards, but wouldn't it, wouldn't it be great to have a podcast about Elixir in Portuguese? And I tweeted, oh, what do you think? Do you want to, to, to join me in, in that? And three people volunteered, and now we have a podcast called Elixir, Elixir in Foco, that's the name in Portuguese, which would be Elixir in Focus, where we interview many people from the Brazilian communities in Portuguese. So we, we can also interview people from, from Portugal, but we haven't yet invited anyone from Portugal. But we have interviewed many very interesting people from the Brazilian community. And it has been a, a great pleasure to do that. I, agree, I would agree that like, just talking with people in general is really fascinating. I just wanted to say I love that you have a podcast dedicated to getting more women and girls into computer science. I never had that. 
Yes. <laughs> so I, I love that. I think that's great. Have you tried to interact? I guess it's harder because there's a pandemic, but have you had any interactions with younger younger girls and help like trying to give them resources and information so that that way there's a more direct line of communication, I guess. Yes. So as I, I said, this, this podcast, the Emilia's podcast is part of a larger program called Emilia's Armação and Beats. And that program used to go before the pandemic, used to go to schools and present, oh, this is computer science. You can go to computer science too. But after the pandemic, and here in Brazil, the, the university where I teach, we haven't still, we, we didn't go back to, to physical classes yet. So yeah. we haven't been able yet to go to school because one of my, my plans was, oh, we're going to that school. We are going to say computer science is that. And after that, we say, oh, if you want to know more, here is the podcast but we haven't been able. We tried some online activities, but I believe we have been, there has been only one activity with the schools up to now. Yeah. It's tough. It's harder virtually. Yeah, it's just harder. You mentioned that your daughter has started college. Is she studying computer science? No, she doesn't. <laughs> She's doing graphic design. Cool. That's awesome. And I'm guessing she is also virtually attending college. Yes, and she doesn't like that. <laughs> but we've got a virtual student in the house and a virtual professor in the house just fighting over Zoom time, I imagine. <laughs> Zoom and Google Meet and Teams. Her, her college usually most Teams. I mostly use Google Meet, but sometimes I have to use Zoom. <laughs> There's just so many options nowadays. <laughs> it's pretty crazy, honestly. Yes. So even if it was in person, since she goes to a different one, it sounds like you don't get to have that, like you as a student meeting your parent as a professor <laughs> walk by. Well, she tried to, to but uh, something happened and she went to a different college. Yes, but... It was one of her options to, to attend my, my university, but it would be a, a different course, so it, was, it, it wouldn't be a problem. Yes. <laughs> but we've had, in, in, our, in my department, we've had cases where the, it, I, I taught the son of one of my colleagues. He was a great student, by the way. But I was going to say, was he good? <laughs> yes. Adolfo, you mentioned, is it Lori, Lori Whelan at the University of North Carolina? Is that right? Lori Williams. We, Williams, yes. got it. But it's not the University of North Carolina. It's North Carolina State University, which is in yep. Raleigh. Yes, I was going to ask. I think I saw that. Did you have a year in Raleigh? Is that where you were when you yes. came to the U.S.? Yes, it was. How did uh, you enjoy the South? Yes, uh, when I arrived in the U.S., I didn't know that there was this different South-North. For me, it was all USA, <laughs> United States, or as we say in Brazil, Estados Unidos. I didn't know. Then I arrived that, there and, oh, there's North and South. And it's curious because North Carolina is part of the South. <laughs> how how that, does that happen? But as I stayed in Raleigh and 
I lived in the in the university, one of the university housing condominiums. I I, I don't remember the name, but the, I lived with other students, and so for me it was not there. There there has been no problem because people say that when you go to North Carolina to to the country, it's it's tougher. But in, in Raleigh, everything is okay. There, there were a lot of Muslims and Mexicans and people from the guy. One guy I really liked there. It was from Colombia, and so it was very good. Very a very diverse population. Yeah. But one thing that happened while was there and that shocked me was that there was a kind it was not exactly a mass shooting because only between coats only three people died but it was terrible and that's the kind of thing that we have here in brazil but somehow it's more shocking for a brazilian brazil is a very violent country and you go to the us you think oh it's going to be less violent that in something like that happens and it was one of the people that died was a student or former students from nc state and they were from a, a muslim family and there was a muslim how do you say that the, a muslim place of prayer close a to mosque. yes a mosque close to yeah. the, the place where i lived and so People from all over the, the city came there to to mourn their their death. So that was kind of shocking. But I know I know that's it's not an easy problem to solve. Not an easy problem to solve, and also I would say, unfortunately, not a very rare problem either. Yes, I am quite delighted that you had a nice time in North Carolina. I'm from South Carolina which I won't say is the better of the two because <laughs> both have their positives. But I'm also from a university town. So the benefits of diversity and a wide array of cultural differences in a university town is something you you don't get every everywhere. Yes, yes. So I'm glad you had a nice time. It was great. No, uh, my wife sometimes say, "Oh no, let's go back there to live for two, three more years." Because it was, it was a great time. Because not only because it was, I, I was there on a sabbatical, which is easier in kind, in kind of in, in, as in terms of working conditions. And I was not yeah. really working as a professor at NC State. No, I was on a sabbatical. I could do whatever I wanted. But other than that, I, I really like the, the main things that you can do in, in Raleigh. It's a city, I, I don't know if you have ever been to Raleigh, but there there's one thing that I, there's not here where I live, which they call there the, the greenways. Some paths in the the woods you do yeah so it's yeah it's a great place to to walk and run it is very lovely i've been to raleigh two or three times now it's a nice little city it's nice and they um they're lucky they have a red hat which kind of really revamped the whole downtown area and they are apparently getting a an apple campus now so Raleigh is going to be the new hip happening hot place to be. 
So if you want to move back, you better do it soon. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, who knows? Maybe. (laughs) Back to teaching. As somebody that teaches functional programming to students and as somebody that has learned Elixir, what do you think is the one of the better resources for learning Elixir? When I think about resources for learning, I, I know that many people, different people like different things. So I really like a, a good book. I like Dave Thomas' book. I haven't read Sasha Yurik's book, but many people love that book. And I also like Ulysses Almeida's book. This one I have read. I have read Dave Thomas' book and Ulysses Almeida's book. And they they are great because they, they teach you how from the beginning and then the basics. I don't like some I know that some people like that approach. No, let's let's build a project. Okay, I, I see many people love it, but that's not my thing. I, I, I prefer to start from the base. So there are these two books and also Elixir School, of course, because it's free and in several languages. So when I teach, when I, I give talks presenting Elixir to new audience, which I, I, I do two or three times every year, I say, oh, you, you don't have to spend one one cent. You can go to a lecture school, it's free. Then you can go to exorcism and practice what you have learned. So these are my my favorite resources. These two books, Elixir School and Exorcism. I do like Exorcism. They have some great pro- like great problems on there. I had this conversation earlier today with one of the uh, Smart Logic apprentices that it's always good to work on your skills in whatever way you can find. And sometimes that just means going to find a practice problem. And about exercise, I would like to to tell people, go to the Erlang track too. It's great and they have great mentors. And my favorite mentor there is Brujo Benavides because every every solution I submit, it's almost all the time goes to, to, to him and he gives great feedback. So that's also, I, I believe it can be useful for Elixir developers to learn Erlang too. Yeah, I absolutely agree, which is something that's been on my mind a lot recently. I know the last season we talked about the Beam and I, it's pretty easy to learn a language, but a little bit harder to maybe take the time to learn the basis of the language. So learning Erlang is something that's been on the top of my mind as well. So I appreciate the plug. That's what I'm trying to say. Adolfo, what are your biggest hopes for Elixir as a language? I hope it continues growing. And it doesn't, for me, for my taste, uh, it doesn't have to be more popular than Python or Java or no, the the popularity it has right now and a little bit more, it's okay for me. I don't know what other people in the community think, but for me, it's okay. But mostly I want that the community keeps being that safe and funny and it's a great place to be, at least most of the time. Of course, here and there, there's some small problem but most of the time i go to to the telegram group there is a elixir 
Brazil Telegram group, and people are nice there. I went to conferences before the pandemics, and people were very, very nice there. The, the Elixir Brazil conference is great. I, I haven't been to other conferences, so I can't say that it's better than Elixir Conf or CodeBean, but Elixir, the Elixir Brazil, I went to the 2018 and 2019 edition at physically, and it was great. 2020 was virtual. It was great too. So the that's that's what what I hope the, the community keep on being what it is a very nice place to be. That's so lovely. I would agree with you. Also, I feel like this is the first time I've ever really been involved in the community. Maybe similar to to you. The Elixir conference that I went to for the first time was the first tech conference I'd ever been to, but everybody was very warm and welcoming and just excited to have other people there to learn, which is a good feeling to feel welcomed, I should say. As somebody that did your dissertation in Java, what do you prefer? <laughs> Object-oriented functional programming, not saying either one is necessarily better than the other, but what do you prefer? Definitely functional programming. Because at the time, I, I didn't know that there were, maybe I, I should have done my dissertation in a functional programming language. Ah, yes, I remember that when I was in a conference and I was presenting my work at a conference and, oh, I have implemented analytic Tableau because it was Tableau, one of the logical procedures I implemented. And there was a, a, a woman there and he told me, oh, this is much easier in Lisp. <laughs> so yes, it's true, it's much easier. But at the time I wanted to do in Java and I did in Java and it was great. It was a great experience, but I believe for the kind of thing that I like to do, functional programming is much better. Yeah, I would agree. We had a took a course called it was something like Survey of Programming Languages, and in five different languages, we did the N Queens problem. And I just remember, as part of that, we did Prologue last, which I don't remember the solution to it, but nope. it was supposed to be like like you did it in in Java, and then you did it in Scheme, and then you did it in. I don't know, all these different things. And it's like the prologue ones, like three lines or something. <laughs> yes, but suppose you had to do something like Phoenix live viewing prologue. <laughs> Maybe it wouldn't be that easier. So, <laughs> Well, Erlang is kind of prologue-y, right? So I guess we did it. <laughs> <laughs> We're there. We've made it. Adolfo, I want to end on a fun note before I ask you for any plugs, but our other host, Sunday asked me to ask you about something and it's nothing tech related, but she saw on your Twitter that you were climbing a tree. Um, and she just wanted to know why I think. <laughs> <laughs> why? Because I, I like it. It's fun. <laughs> yes, because it's fun, but there is a, a, a guy. I don't, I don't remember his name, but it's he has a kind of technique called MoveNet, and he climbs tree. No, he, he were only record. There are some videos on YouTube, and he's great. He does everything. So I believe 
climbing a tree is part of natural movement. So that's something that, oh, you can do it. It's easy. It's not, it's not strenuous. It's not something that, oh, after that, you are, you, you can't move a finger, but it, it's fun. Sometimes when the tree allows it, you can have a nice view up there. So that's why I like to, to climb trees. I'm going to take a leaf out of your book, not to make a tree pun, but I often see trees and I think that's a good climbing tree and I don't climb them, but maybe the next time I see one, I will. Yes. And my daughter also likes it. So she, she sometimes, oh, that's a good tree. Let's let me climb it. It's a bonding experience. <laughs> well, Adolfo, do you have any final plugs asks where people can find you on social media, where people can find the things that you're involved in. Yes, I'm I'm addicted to Twitter and my Twitter account is how do you say that symbol? At Adolfo yes. at Adolfo NT because my name is Adolfo Neto, but when I went there, I, I believe there are there are lots of Adolfo Netos in Spanish speaking countries. And they, they always always got there first. So I, I use Adolfo NT. It's not without the E and the O, Adolfo NT. And that's where I, I, I usually put links there for the my YouTube channel. And my, there's a, if you go to my profile on Twitter, there's a link there that takes you to my YouTube channel when my podcast is and everything I do. Awesome. Thank you. And we will also have all those links at the in the notes. But Eric, you were going to say something. Yeah, I just since you pointed out that there's a lot of Adolfo Nettos, while looking for your YouTube, I found one that does CrossFit. <laughs> those CrossFit videos. <laughs> That's great. I didn't know that. <laughs> you could start like a, a, a tree climbing course video set of videos on YouTube. To compete with the CrossFitter. Or on TikTok. Or <laughs> on TikTok. Oh, maybe. Maybe. Who knows? You never know. Maybe the next time we talk to you, you'll be a, a full-on TikTok influencer. The dream. Not really. <laughs> yes, if it, it helps to people. Because something that I believe that people need is more movement in their lives, including me. <laughs> True. I had to make sure I, sta I stood up today, used my standing desk. So everybody, if you're listening to this, this is your reminder to stand up and take a few steps. Move your body around, everybody. It's good for you. <laughs> well, Adolfo, thank you so much for joining us today. It was a real treat to get to talk to you. Thank you, Alex. Thank you, Eric. Of course. And that's it for this episode of Elixir Wizards. Thank you again to our guest, Adolfo Netu, for joining us today. Elixir Wizards is a Smart Logic production. Today's hosts include myself, Alex Hausend, and my co-host, Eric Ostrich. Our producer is Bonnie Lander, and our executive producer is Rose Burt. We get production and promotion assistance from Michelle McFadden. Here at Smart Logic, we build custom web and mobile software. We're always looking to take on new projects. We work in Elixir, Rails and React, Kubernetes, and more. If you need a piece of custom software built, hit us up. Don't forget to hit like, subscribe, and leave a review. Follow at SmartLogic on Twitter for news and episode announcements. And you can also join us on the Elixir Wizards Discord. Just head on over to the podcast page to find the link. And don't forget to join us again next week for more on the impact of Elixir. Elixir.